Okay, everyone. Thank you for coming. Yeah. Thank you. We'd like to invite everyone to our new series. Be'ezrat Hashem. We began on um, yesterday on Tisha B'av. There is a new series, the second semester of Moshiach Decoded. Uh, this time we're going to be exploring the era of Moshiach. Now, whether we like it, or whether you're preparing, or whether you know about it, or what we're and when, this, the world is going to change, and Moshiach is coming very, very quickly. You could either be prepared, or you could be in your PJs. So therefore, I would recommend everybody come to this class, so at least you'll have some degree of preparation and know a little bit what to expect, even though I don't assume that I know exactly, but at least let's learn together and try to get some appreciation and understanding of what life is going to be like after Mashiach comes. So the first class you missed already, whoever wasn't here, I know I advertised it a little late because I was in and out. Uh, it was on Tisha B'Av at 5.30, but the second class which will stand on its own, is July 29th, this coming Sunday, at 9.45 a.m. Okay, it will talk about how our religious life, our observance of mitzvahs will be greatly enhanced when Mashiach comes. We will understand and appreciate what, what mitzvah-like is going to be like, observance is going to be like after the coming of Mashiach. Then join us for the next Sunday on August 5th, in which we're going to discuss the upgrade of the Torah, what kind of Torah are we going to study after Mashiach comes? In August 12th on Sunday, these are all on Sunday, 9.45, we're going to talk about the resurrection. And what's, what, what do we know about the resurrection? Uh, very, 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 very important class. On August 19th, we're going to talk about miracles and life in that miraculous state, and what is that going to be like. And finally, on September 2nd, we're going to talk about God's home, meaning how will it feel like to live with Hashem in one house as God moves into this world, which is really the real, real, real pure essence of the Messianic era. So again, this is the next few Sundays. Please come, 9.45. Definitely these classes are... Very, very informative, very enriching, and uh, something that will definitely go a far, far away. Thank you. Now, regarding the class for tonight, I want to thank the dedication. The class was dedicated by my daughter and son-in-law, Z.C. and Mendel Zirkind. And this is in honor of my daughter's engagement. So that's big, big mazel tov. Uh, thank you. Thank you for this dedication. May Hashem bench this uh, future couple, my daughter Yiti and her future husband Label. May Hashem bench them both with a lot of bracha and mazel and wonderful, wonderful good things. May they merit to build a beautiful home, a permanent home, a binyan adeyad, a binyan nitzchi, a binyan adeyad, and uh, it should be a house full of joy and happiness and simchas and only, only good things, parnasa, barachava, 
And most of all, it should very, very, very quickly be part of Mashiach's beautiful world and the part of that uh, uh, reality, Be'ezus Hashem. Thank you so much for that dedication. All right, we are about to begin. This week is an exciting, exciting week. It is, the Shabbos has a special name. It is called Shabbos, Shabbos Nachamo. And that is because from the sadness and the ashes and the sitting on the floor, we rise up very quickly to celebrate because God himself comes to comfort us. We hear the cries of the Navi, Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami. Be comforted, be comforted, my people. That's Hashem's messenger that comes immediately after Tisha B'Av to comfort us and to tell us that we have brighter days ahead. And very, very, very soon, all the darkness of the exile is going to disappear. And not only that, be transformed to light and to such a brightness that is unimaginable. And if Hashem warns us about the impeding a destruction in three weeks, he spends seven weeks, the next seven Shabbosim, each one of them is another form of comfort where God is comforting us. So that's what's so great about this Shabbos. We experience a God, a divine embrace. It's not just an embrace to this entity called the Jewish people. No. What this really means is it's an embrace to every single one of us as an individual. Hashem embraces and hugs and loves and whispers in our ears how the darkness that we have in our life is soon to end and it's going to be replaced with such happiness, joy, celebration, infinite goodness and brightness and closeness to Hashem. And that's going to happen now. So this is what we are waiting for this Shabbos. It's also fantastic that Erev Shabbos, Thursday night, is the great holiday of Tezvav Ba'av. Some people refer to it as Tuba'av, in which the sages say that we didn't have any holidays. The Jewish people never had any holidays that can compare to the greatness of the 15th of Av. So when you have these two things coming together, the 15th of Av, which is a day which is deeply, deeply one with the future redemption. The real true celebration of the 15th of Av is that it's the fixing of Tisha B'Av. And in that day, we have the entire revealed power of Mashiach. On Tisha B'Av, we have the essence of Mashiach, but it's still concealed. Mashiach is born, it's hidden, it's concealed, camouflaged in the pain and in the darkness. But by the 15th of Av, the brightness of Tisha B'Av is revealed. And the 15th, is like the middle of the month in which it allows, it opens up the true treasures of the month and allows it to shine. So we have this week, 15th of Ab, followed by Shabbos Nachamu, two days in a row. So it's really, really powerful. It's also Parshas Ve'ezchanan. So what we want to discuss in tonight's class is the relationship between Parshas Ve'ezchanan to Nachamu Nachamu Ami. The tremendous and fantastic great comfort now in the Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami, it's really included the seven future weeks of comfort. Because those are already details of this comfort. There's a back and forth between God and the Jewish people. Hashem sends the prophets back and forth. We accept the comfort, we don't. There's a dialogue going back and forth over the next seven weeks. 
And, but it all begins with the attempt and the desire for Hashem to comfort us. comes out that in the Nachamu, Nachamu Ami, we have the seed of seven weeks of comfort. So out of all the weeks, this is like the most potent week of comfort. And it comes out with Shabbos, the Shabbos of Pasha's Veschanah. Now even though generally the rule is that the Haftorah that we read in any given Parsha has a, the reason that Haftorah, which is that portion of Navi, has been chosen, is it because the content of it is similar to the Parsha. That is the general rule. There's an exception. These last weeks of the Torah, from now until Rosh Hashanah, where it says clearly in, the, in, the, uh, in Halacha that the Haftorah is not Me'en HaParsha, meaning the portion of the Navi does not reflect the Torah portion. We divert, we go, we, we go off. Why? Because we have business to take care of. The Jewish people need to be comforted. So we're not sticking to the theme of the Parsha in the Haftorah, we're sticking to another theme, which is the theme of comfort. However, being that in Yiddishkeit, there is nothing random. So if Pashkacha Pratis, this Parsha, Parsha's Veschana, and this Haftorah go together, even though they were not chosen because of a similarity like a regular week where Haftorah and Parsha were chosen because they have the same theme. Over here they were not chosen because of the same theme, but based on divine providence we have to say that the Haftorah and the Parsha have a connection to each other. So what we want to do is dig a little deeper and find the connection of Parsha's Veschan on Tanachal. On a very simple level, the, 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 the two are immediately connected. How are they connected? What does Ve'eschanon talk about? And what does Ve'eschanon mean? The word Ve'eschanon is Moshe Rabbeinu saying that I have petitioned. Ve'eschanon means I've petitioned, I've prayed, I begged, I pleaded. Ve'eschanon means a plea. And Moshe Rabbeinu is telling the Jewish people how he pleaded with God to allow him to enter Eretz Yisrael. And that was the Moshe Rabbeinu's bakasha. That's Moshe Rabbeinu's request. Now we all know that if Moshe Rabbeinu would have entered Eretz Yisrael instead of dying in the desert, the sages tell us that Moshe Rabbeinu is eternal. Everything that Moshe Rabbeinu does and did for the Jewish people lasts permanently. Moshe Rabbeinu gave us a Torah. And guess what? The Torah is alive and well amongst the Jewish people even though we've gone through every kind of challenge and difficulty and based on, on, on any kind of predictions of the big Mevinim, whoever it was a thousand, two thousand years ago, and if you would speak to them and tell them the Jewish people are going to be exiled from their land for two thousand years, amongst the nations, persecuting them, trying to seduce them, trying to pull them away and astray from the Torah, there is no way that the Torah is going to stick to the Jewish people after thousands of years. But guess what? It's the same Torah going to the shuls, this Shabbos, here across the entire world, no matter which country you go to, no matter which place, which type of shul it is, Sephardi, Ashkenazi, this kind of Hasidim, that kind of Hasidim, non-Hasidim, everybody, uh, everybody is reading Parshas Veschanan. And we're reading the same thing. Moshe Rabbeinu pleaded to God. 
The Torah is so live and well. Yiddishkeit is thriving all over the world. Why did the Torah last to the Jewish people? Part of it, obviously, is because of God's promise, because it's divine, but very much it has to do with, there are many divine projects that started in the world that did not last. For example, the Beis HaMikdash. The Beis HaMikdash was built, it was a godly project, but it wasn't permanent. It will come back, but there was a time that it just wasn't. It wasn't permanent. The reason why the Torah lasts amongst the Jewish people permanently is because it was Moshe who brought us the Torah, and Moshe is Netzach. Moshe is eternal. And everything he does is of eternity. Another example is the Moshe Rabbeinu gave us the Mishkan. So the Mishkan, it says, was never destroyed. The temples, the Beis Amigdash was destroyed. The Mishkan was never destroyed. The reason why the Mishkan was never destroyed was because Moshe built it. It's hidden somewhere. Anything that Moshe does is eternal. So had Moshe brought the Jewish people into the land of Israel, then what? Then our, we would never have been able to be driven out. Had Moshe Rabbeinu built us a temple, a Beis Amigdash, it would have lasted forever. So that's the con. So what's the content of this week's parsha? Moshe Rabbeinu's desire to enter Eretz Yisrael. Well, now let's go over to the Haftorah. When God comforts Israel, when God comforts the Jewish people, and He says, "Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami, be comforted, be comforted, my people." What's the content of God's comfort? It's not just words. Hashem's comfort is that He will bring Mashiach, and He will rebuild us a temple. But not only will God rebuild us a temple, but this time the temple, as the Zohar says, is going to be an eternal edifice. It's going to last forever and ever and ever. It's going to be indestructible. It's going to be a bias nitzchi. The geula that is going to be, not only is the temple going to be eternal, but the Jewish people, the redemption is going to last forever and ever. That's why it says in, in um, Medrash, in Shemos, it says that, when, when it says when Mashiach will come, we will sing to God Shir Chadash, a new song. So it uses the term Shir. Shir is male. Versus the song when we went out of Mitzrayim, which is called Shira, female. So the sages say, how come we went out of Egypt, we sang a female song? And when Mashiach will come, we will sing a male song. What's the idea? Even though it's interesting, because it, the future world is a feminine world. But in regarding to one aspect, it's male. And regarding the song that we will sing. So the Medrash tells us, we've mentioned this Medrash at different occasions, that a woman, the woman becomes pregnant, and during her pregnancy, she has a hard time. And she prays for relief already, as she's going through these difficult nine months. And then the relief comes, and she's liberated from her hardship, from her pregnancy. The baby is born and amachaya, at least for at least in the sense of her pregnancy, she feels liberated. She's feeling much better. But then, <laughs> allow a year to go by, two years to go by, and she's pregnant again. So she's back again in the situation where she was in. And so the Gemara says, so the Medrash says, the woman's redemption. Of her, of her stressful time is not permanent. It's a temporary relief, and then she's pregnant again. But the man's redemption is one. The man is, first of all, never pregnant. 
But if he would be pregnant, he would only do it one time, like my grandmother says. Good that men don't have babies, because men would only do it one time, they would never do it again. So the idea is, so I don't know exactly what the medrash, in the simple meaning what the medrash means. The medrash says that for a, that a man's redemption, it's not a redemption that has to come many times. So that's the idea. That the Beis Amigdash is going to be an eternal Beis Amigdash. The Geula is going to be a Shir Chadash, a Geula that's going to last forever. And that's God's comfort. That's Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami. That's how we're comforted for the first and second temple that were destroyed. Hence the double Nachama. Two times Hashem says comfort. Because Hashem is going to give us a third Beis Amigdash that is going to replace both the first and the second temple. And that's our Nacham. Oh, so our true Nachamu, Nachamu Ami is because we're comforted with an eternal redemption and an, e- and an eternal home of the Beis Amigdash. And we can understand that that's directly related with Parshas Veschanon. Because what's, par- what's the secret to eternity? We got to get Moshe Rabbeinu involved. And what's Veschanon? Moshe's prayer to enter Eretz Yisrael, which would have given us a permanent redemption. So that would be on a simple level, the connection between Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami, and Parshas Vazchan. The problem, however, is, anybody that's listening to this can immediately point out the flaw in this, in this idea. And that is, when you read Parshas Vazchan, it's not that Moshe Rabbeinu goes into Eretz Yisrael, it's quite the contrary. Moshe Rabbeinu is prevented from going into Eretz Yisrael. He does, God doesn't listen to him. And not only that, God gets angry at him. Vayisaber Hashem beats. It says the second Pasuk in Parshas Vizchanon. Hashem gets mad at Moshe Rabbeinu. And Hashem says, no, you can't enter the land. Not only that, Hashem forbids Moshe Rabbeinu to even plead and to pray anymore. Moshe Rabbeinu was a pretty serious... I don't want to say nudnik, but he, Moshe didn't stop. He prayed 515 prayers, sages say, Kaminyan Vezchanon, Gamatri of the word Vezchanon. 515 prayers. And finally God said, stop! Right? So Moshe Rabbeinu stopped, and Hashem said, Ravloch, don't ask me anymore. That means Hashem is preventing, with all means, Moshe from entering Eretz Yisrael. So then what's the theme of Vezchanon? Is the theme of Vezchanon enter? Moshe's entry into Eretz Yisrael, or the theme of Vizchanan is the absence of Moshe in Eretz Yisrael, that Moshe can't enter Eretz Yisrael, and instead, the entry into Eretz Yisrael comes through Yehoshua, whose power, even though he's a very great tzaddik, is far, far, far less than Moshe Rabbeinu. And therefore, when Yeshua enters Eretz Yisrael, compared, like Yeshua is compared to the moon, compared to the sun, Moshe was compared to the sun. We all understand that the light of the moon, as beautiful as it is, can't compete in any way to the brightness, to the power, to the energy of the sun. And therefore, we see what happened since Yeshua brought the Jewish people into the land. It didn't last. That's why we were, the Beis we were, the Beis English was destroyed. We were exiled from the land, as it says in Parshas Veschanan. Do you realize, I don't know, uh, men who were in shul, Tisha above in the morning, probably know this. Uh, women who maybe probably didn't go to shul. Parsha's ves, the parsha that we read on Tisha of morning, speaking about the exile and the Jews being kicked out of Eretz Yisrael, is a section of Parsha's Veschanon. So what you see in Parsha's Veschanon itself is that, the, is that Yeshua is going into the land, 
not Moshe Rabbeinu, therefore it won't be permanent, therefore it's going to lead to the Jewish people misbehaving, and God, chas v'shalem, um, exiling the Jewish people out of the land. If that's the case, so this already, so how, what's the connection of this to Nachamu, Nachamu Ami, which is the total opposite. Nachamu, Nachamu Ami is the comfort of an, of an eternal redemption, of an everlasting base of it. So what's the connection? Obviously you can say, and the obvious answer would be, oh, because of Parshas Ve'eschanon, we need Nachamu. In other words, we can say that the relationship with, from Ve'eschanon to Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami, is not one of that they're similar, but they're opposites. But precisely because of that, because of what the Torah tells us happens in Parshas Ve'eschanon. And what's that? That Moshe Rabbeinu does not enter into Eretz Yisrael. It's precisely because of that that we need to have a Nachamu Nachamu Ami that God has to tell us that even though now it was not infinite, it wasn't permanent, it wasn't lasting. We futched, we messed it up, we botched the whole thing up and therefore it's not going to be, it's not going to be lasting because Moshe couldn't come in and so on and so forth. So God is saying, you should know, however, the day will come, one day, one day it's going to be good, the day will come very soon, that it's going to be a permanent redemption. So in that sense we can say that the way Nachamu and Veschanon match up is that Nachamu is a remedy for Veschanon. However, eh, no one is happy with such an answer. Let's see if we can dig deeper into Veschanon and see that the relationship of Eschanon to Nachamu is not one of opposites, but one of similarity. In other words, that the true content of Eschanon is not Moshe Rabbeinu not going into Eretz Yisrael, but the true content of Eschanon is Moshe Rabbeinu yeah going into Eretz Yisrael. So we're going to flip the whole thing over on its head. That's, that's the objective in today's class. Okay? To figure out the relationship of the Heschanon and, and Nachamu in a, with a positive identification. Not because of the negative of Heschanon, we have to come out. So in order to appreciate that and to understand that. One of the interesting things and striking things about Nachamu, Nachamu is that it, it begins with a repetition. It begins with a double, a double comfort. Nechama b'keflayim. It's a keful diga nechama. It's a double nechama. Nachamu, nachamu, ami. The relationship of this comfort of nachamu to the future redemption, to the ultimate redemption, is not only in the, in the concept of it being comfort, nachamu meaning comfort, but it's also related to the double, the double language. The sages tell us that all doubles, doubling is related to the redemption. Double is always connected to the giyula, to the redemption. Where do we find that? What's the first place and where we find double? We find double... Immediately, when in Yiddishkeit, of course. Where do you find double? You have double challah on Shabbos. Yeah, fine. You have double portion. 
You have some other doubles. But the first, 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 first double that you encounter when you are a little child and you're beginning to explore Yiddishkeit is you learn Aleph Beis. And when you learn Aleph Beis, you very, very quickly come on double letters. And I don't mean the Beis Vase, because the Beis Vase is really the same letter. It's just there's two ways of pronouncing it with a B and a V. Meaning Dagish and Rafi. That's not really considered a double letter. The double letters are Menatzpach. Five letters, Mem, Nun, Tzadik, Pe, and Chaf. Those are the double letters. And the sages tell us, it's brought down in Yalkut Shemoni. It's also brought down in Pirkei de Rebeliezer. And it's also brought down in Bamidbar Rabbah, Medrash Rabbah. And in Medrash Tanchuma. So this is a, pro, a, a pretty important idea. So it says as follows, that the, the, the letters that are double are all indicating Giyola. They all symbolize redemption. All the redemptions come from the double letter. The secret of redemption are these double letters. The letters of Menatzbach. Where do we find it? Any time there was redemption in the world, it came through the power of the double letter. It started with the first person who was redeemed. First person who experienced a true redemption. True redemption means going out of limitations, of constrictions, and ultimately it means going out of all constrictions and all limitations. Because if you went out of some kind of constriction and limitation, but you still have another limitation, you haven't really, really been redeemed. True redemption is breaking out of everything. So who had the first redemption? That is Avram Avinu. When God connects Avram to God and takes him out of the limitations of creation and makes him a godly being, not a human being, a godly being. When, when Avram... So where did that begin? In which part of Avram's life did that start? When Hashem told him the two words, Lech Lecha. So there you got right away a double. Lech Lecha. So the, first of all, it's the, it's the letters Chaf. Chaf, Chaf. That's, that's where his redemption is coming from. And it's actually also the whole word is double. Lech Lecha. The doubling of the word is redemption. But primarily connected to the double Chaf. Then Chazal say, the next one who was redeemed is Yitzchak, also had a redemption when he was dealing with Avimelech. And he was redeemed through the double mem. Atzamta mimeno, it says. They said, Avimelech said to him, Go from us. You're too powerful to, from us. And he uses the Atzamta mimenu. The mems are coming, are, are emphasized over there. By Yaakov Avinu, who also was redeemed. He, he was redeemed through the letters Nun. I think the Medrash uses the word Hatsileni No. So even though the Nun is not in the beginning of the word, it's still considered the double Nuns. Hatsileni No, please redeem me. So that was a redemption for Yaakov. Okay, that's for our forefathers. How about the children? The children have two primary redemptions. The first redemption and the final redemption. So the first redemption is through, what else are we left with? We took care of the Chaf. We took care of the Mem and the Nun. These were all associated already with a redemption. We're left with the only two letters that are left, and that is the Pei and the Tzaddik. So the Pei is the redemption of Mitzrayim came through the letter Pei. We all know that the Jewish people had a secret code that was passed down to them from their fathers that the Redeemer was going to come with that code. And what was the word he was going to use? Pakoid. I have remembered you. Yosef already said it to the Jewish people. 
And so, and then when Moshe Rabbeinu comes, he tells the Jewish people, So, begins with a pay. And we also know that Moshe Rabbeinu was 80 years old when he redeemed the Jewish people because the power of the redemption came through the letter pay of Pakat Pakadati. Moshiach Tzedkeinu, Moshiach Tzedkeinu. The redemption of Moshiach is going to come through the letter Tzadik. As it says in the Navi in Zechariah, that Moshiach, Rebbe, Moshiach Tzedkeinu, his name is Tzemach, Ish Tzemach Shemoi. His name is going to be Tzemach, Umitachtov Yitzmach, and from below he's going to sprout forth. That's what it says in the Navi, referring to Tzemach. And therefore, we know that the Giyul is associated, Medrash says it in many places, with the letter Tzadik. Tzemach Tatzmiach. It sprouts forth. Sprouts forth. Tzemach Tzemachti. So you see from here, that all redemptions are related to the double letters. And the words of the Medrash, Tzadik, I'm quoting the Medrash, Boy Osid HaKadosh Baruch Hu Yisrael, with a Tzadik, the Abish is going to redeem the Jewish people, Besoif Malchus Revius, in the end of the fourth kingdom, which is Edom, Shenemar Ish Tzemach Shemoi Umitachtov Yitzmach, this is the Giyula of Mashiach Tzadkenu. Okay, so let's analyze that. What's the relationship between double letters and Moshiach? What's the relationship? So there's a lot of mystical ideas, but we're going to leave out all that mystical ideas. We're going to stick to simple pshat. What's the relationship between double letters and Moshiach? The relationship is, or double letters and giyula and redemption. The relationship of the two is in the essential idea of double. There is a Pasuk in Eiv. There is a Pasuk in Eiv where the Pasuk says, Kiflayim Litaishia. Pasuk in Eiv. Where one of the Eiv's friends are speaking to him, they're rebuking him, telling him about God's, how God is perfect and the like, and how Hashem is so much smarter than a human being. And they're saying, Kiflayim Litaishia, that his sage. His, his uh, I think in English I looked it up, sagitory. Why do they use such weird words? His sageness, his chachma, his wisdom is double, meaning it's kiflayim, it's way, way above. That's what that's the simple meaning. But the word taishia also, besides wisdom, also comes from the word yeshu. A, a yeshua, a person is waiting for salvation. Ana Hashem hoishiana. And interesting. When we say Ana Hashem we repeat it twice. Ana Hashem Aishiana, Ana Hashem Why? Because Kiflayim Litoishia, that Toishia, that Kiflayim Kefel, Kefel means double, is associated with Toishia with help, with salvation. But what's the reason? Why is double related to the future redemption? And here's some, some, an idea that's so simple yet so so unbelievable. And the idea is as follows. The notion of double doesn't only mean two times. The real meaning of double means more. You have whatever you have and it doesn't stop. There is more. How much more? The real meaning of more 
Haisafa means endless Haisaf. If something has a measured more, it's not really more. Because the real meaning of more is more, 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 more. More is a gate, it goes, it goes. What do you see that? What do you see that? Maybe double means twice. What do you see that double really means? Without an end. You find that Chazal derive from the, when the Torah uses double language. For instance, by Tzedakah, it says in the Pasuk, you should give and give. So the sages learn out that if you have a nudnik, meshulach, this happens. I mean, we're all guilty of this because we have a, a nudnik meshulach who comes around and he knocks on your door. You go to the door. He's working the street. He's working the block. And you give him. And you gave him a nice donation. You gave him five bucks. You gave him ten dollars. Wow. Okay, and a half an hour later, you're already going to bed. You're tired. You're ready. Ding dong. And he doesn't leave alone. He comes and he rings a few times. And you're frustrated. You get up. And guess what? You can't believe your eyes. The same Meshulah. So what do you say? What do we all say? I gave you already. Who's not going to... I can't sure know what you are. What are you coming back here? I gave you already. The sages say, no, Saint Tite, don't tell this to the Meshulachim. Please. The sages say, even a hundred times. That means if he comes, and he comes again, and I think they learned it out from Paiseach Tiftach. I think from Paiseach Tiftach. You have to open your hands and give him how many times? Even a hundred times. Now when the sages say even, and again, how do they know even a hundred times? Because it was repeated twice. Paiseach Tiftach. Nosoin Titein. All the words that repeat twice, the sages say even... And it's not only in one place, it's in a few things where sages say, when it doubles it, it means even a hundred times. Now when the sages say a hundred times, they don't mean a hundred. They choose the word a hundred because a hundred is like a perfect number of a lot. Why? Because the, perfection of, the perfect number, the complete number is ten. But being that each number has all the other numbers inside, so you end up with ten times ten. So ten times ten is a hundred. Now the truth is, you can take the 10 times the 100 and make that times 10, and then it's 1,000. And then the 1,000, you make that times 10, it's 10,000. And in Hebrew, the word for 10,000 is revava. Revava is 10,000, which the word revava means rav. And rav means a lot, means much. And the true meaning of much is endless. So when the sages say that you have the nudnik come 100 times, they don't mean that you stand with a clock. They say, okay, <laughs> sorry, it's 100 already. Doesn't work that way. If it's 101, it's 101. The 100 is not to put a cap, only 100. What the sages mean is no matter how many times he comes, you have to give him. That's the meaning of the double. So the true meaning, whenever the Torah uses a kefel, a word, it really is introducing a point of the infinite. Now, even though we're living in a world where everything is finite, everything has a measure. And even the richest people like Bill Gates, he's so rich, or the other guy from Facebook, whatever his name is. Like these guys, so rich. So rich. There's a limit. Even Amazon guy. There's a limit. When we're saying kefel, the real meaning of kefel means limitless. How can there be anything limitless and infinite in the world? Well, if you're Jewish. We're connected to God, and God is infinite. So it's infinite. The meaning of the word kefal is infinite. That's why, and now we can understand, 
why Giula, whenever you're seeing Kefal, it's associated with Geula, with redemption. Because what's Geula? I explained it before. What does Geula mean? Geula means you're going out from the limitations and the boundaries of whatever situation it is. Every Geula means you're becoming attached to God. And God is Ainsof. So you're rising beyond the limitations and the constrictions of whatever it was. And everybody in their situation. In Mitzrayim it meant going out of Egypt. But going out of Egypt wasn't a technical thing we happened to get out of Egypt. Going out of Egypt means you touched and connected and bound, bound yourself up. Now you, all of us together as a people, we became bound up with God who's Ein Sof. So as we become one with God, nothing can constrict us and can contain us. No one can limit us. Beyond, uh, that's why we saw the ten makis completely blasted all aspects of nature. We went out of nature. We went out of Egypt. And we went to receive the Torah, which is the God's wisdom that's infinite and the like. Geula. Geula means, and where is going to be the ultimate attachment to the Ein Sof? In a permanent, lasting, forever and ever, nitzchiyistic away that will never, never end. That's going to be the future redemption. All the redemptions that we had till now was a flash of the infinite. Like a lightning bolt in a dark, in a dark night. Boom! You see the light for a second, but then it's gone. So the previous redemptions were like a moment of, like, of, of attachment to God. But the future redemption is going to be permanent, lasting manifestation of the infinite in our finite world. Where the finite world is going to connect to the angel. Or better than that, the Ein Sof is going to come live in the finite. So in that sense, the finite and the infinite are going to merge together. And that's why double, which what does double mean? Double means infinite, is associated with Giyul. When Mashiach will come, we will truly be in the infinite, which means we will truly attain the double, which what the real meaning of double is, Without an end, without an end, So now it makes perfect sense why every why in the olive page when you see the double letters, see what happened when God created the world. How did God create the world? God created the world with twenty-two letters. Now, what does it mean that Hashem created the world with twenty-two letters? That means every letter is a fixed energy of God that was used to create the fixed reality of time and space. So the 22 letters are the opposite of what? Of infinite. The 22 letters are coming from the infinite God and manifesting and creating a very defined, limited world. But within these 22 letters, Hashem doubles five of those letters. What's the idea that there are five letters that are added to the... And therefore in the end we have 27 letters. What's the idea of those 27 letters? is because we have in the other five, is because, we're, because the whole point of creation is not that the world should remain fixed and limited and defined, but within this finite world, we should connect and rise and elevate and draw down the infinite. And those are the 22 letters. So today I watched a little clip. Someone sent me a clip. Sometimes you have good clips that someone sends. A lot of times we waste our time looking at these narishkeit, but this was actually very good. Some Israeli chassid, I don't know his name, speaking. And I found him very, very, very uh, interesting. It was in Hebrew. 
and he's explaining soccer. Now, it's interesting, I spoke about soccer in the last class because I spoke about the 12 boys that were saved. So here's an interesting thing. He says, you know, the, whole, and the main sport that is a fo- global sport is soccer. You know, here in America we have baseball, basketball, and other things. But globally, we just came from the World Cup. Right? What do they call it? The World Cup. Right? They just finished playing soccer. Soccer is like, shh. Why? So he said an interesting thing. How many teams, how many players are there in soccer? 22. He says, what's this idea that there are 22 lay players in soccer? He says, 22 are the 22 letters of the olive base. 22. Is it coincidence, he says, 22 letters in the olive base and 22 soccer players? Might say yes. He says, no. It's an amazing thing. What's the idea of soccer? You have to kick the ball into a goal. What's the concept? So on Shabbos, I explained it one way. But here's a whole different explanation. A circle, the ball is a circle. The circle is the infinite. See? The circle is the ain soft, because a circle never ends. Right? So a circle is the infinite. The goal is what? The finite. There is a very measured space. I don't know how many feet they make when they make professional soccer. How many feet there is for the goal? Certain measured space. The whole point of soccer is you kick the infinite into the finite. And that's the purpose of creation. The whole perfect of creation, the whole purpose of creation is to bring the infinite Ein Sof into the finite. And that's why the world goes crazy when they score a goal. Because ultimately we're waiting for Ultimately, in the hearts of all of humanity, we're all waiting for the ball to go into the goal, for the infinite to reveal itself in the finite. And he says an amazing thing. In the whole world, how do they refer to the word, to the, to the winning act? They call it goal. And goal, he says, the same world root of Geula, redemption. So what excites everybody, everybody screams, goal, goal, Geula, redemption. That's redemption. Redemption. So the 22 letters of the olive base, we can say the 22 letters of the Torah through the 22 players, through these letters, through these words, even though according to what I was telling you earlier, the 22 themselves create the fixed finite world. And those five, but you should see, those five are not any other than the 22. It's the same 22 of the 22. Five of them are double. So it's not like new letters that are. It's those five that are double. So you see that the power of the Ain Sof is within these very same 22 letters. So the 22 letters, and you kick it into the goal, and you get Gil. But this is this theme, this is Mamish, this theme that we're talking about right now. Which is that Geula means revealing the infinite in the finite or bringing down the infinite down into the world. And that's why it's the idea of Kefal. So when Mashiach comes, we're suddenly going to live in that world of double. Double meaning the infinite. The double, the double reality. The infinite reality. So now, if this is the case, now let's take a look and see why Nachamu Nachamu Ami is not just, or, is not out of all the doubles, it's the greatest double. Why? When you say that double means the infinite, it's the most and the strongest when the two words that are double are exactly the same. In the case of Lech Lecha, for instance, 
even though it's the same two words, lamet chaf, lamet chaf, repeated twice. So again, you got the double chaf, but I'm saying in addition to that, the lamet chaf and the lamet chaf, but they're two different meanings. One word means lech, which means to go. The other word means lecha, which means for your benefit or whatever. So lech, lecha, go to you or whatever. Same is also in the word pakoid pakadati. I have remembered you. So even though in this case, the pakoid and the pakadati is the same meaning, the word has the same meaning in the shoresh. Both means remembered, but it's still two different words. Pakod is the, is the, is the shoresh itself, the, the etzem, the essence remembering. That's what pakod means, remember. Pakadati means I have remembered. It's the action of remembering. Pakoid. Pakadati, and remembered in the past. So it's already, even though it's the same two words, but the second word has some extra meaning that the first word doesn't have. When I tell you the word pakoid, I mean one thing, and when I'll say the word pakadati, I've added in my, what I'm giving you now is something more than just pakoid. Or even the word tzemach tzemachti, it's also, tzemach is the plant itself, the sprouting itself, tzamachti, I have made it sprout. So once you're doubling, but the doubling is already adding something that, and what that means is, that there is some other notion that is being added, so then, even though it means the infinite, it doesn't express so strongly the idea of infinite, because you don't really, it's, it's, it's not, demanding that we ask the question, why, if it's the same thing, why are you repeating it a second time? Because I have an explanation of why it's repeated. When don't I have any explanation for why it's repeated? Because it's the, when it's the exact same word. Where do we have the exact same word repeated twice? Nachamu, nachamu. Two words, exact same words, there isn't even the slightest difference between them. Nachamu, nachamu, exact same word. In this case, the repetition serves no purpose at all. The only reason it's being repeated, the only reason it's being repeated is to tell you that what? The idea of infinite, of ain't self. It's a nechama, it's, an, it's a nechama, it's a nechama coming from an infinite place. It's not part of time and space. It's not part of even the divine structure that's the source of time and space. Because we know that even in the divine there are levels that are already, already the... The source that's already the, the, has already some constrictions, some limitations. For instance, we speak of spherot and attributes. They're divine. Like even, even God's attribute of kindness or God's attribute of mercy, it's divine, but it has a certain limitation already because it's the source, it's the building blocks of time and space of creation. True, the true idea of Ein Sof refers to God Himself as He's transcendent, and that's the idea of Nachamu Nachamu. We actually see it. Here an amazing thing. I'll quote you a beautiful medrash. The medrash says like this. It says that HaKadosh um, Baruch Hu says to Knesset Yisrael. It says, it is Yalkut Shemayni. On the Pasuk, um, um, it says that all the Avais and the Nevi'im, that the Abishter sent them to comfort the Jewish people. It says that the fathers and the prophets were sent by God to comfort the Jewish people. And they come to the Abishter and they say, the master of the world, the Jewish people are not, are not accepting our comfort. They're not accepting comfort. Like it says later in one of the, one of the, in one of the, in one of the Haftoris, it says, Aniya Sayara Loi Nechama. That the Jewish people are not being, they're not being comforted. 
So Hashem says to them, Ani va'atem neilech unenachmeno. Me and you together, let's go comfort them. Imagine that, first of all. Sometimes I feel we're such cult of fish, we're such cold beings. If we only read these medrash and say, Gaval, this is crazy. You know what it means? Shabbos, when they say, this is Shabbos Nachamo, you know what it means? It means Hashem himself, with all the Nevi'im, with Avram and Yitzchak, stop thinking. This is, this, this, this is the frustration. Because of our, I don't want to say stupidity, but because of our... Small kepekite, you know what I mean? Small kepekite, that means narish, narrow-mindedness. That's better in Yiddish, small kepekite. Okay, narrow-mindedness. Because of our tzimtzumim, we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's something that Abish is talking to Knesset Yisrael. Who's Knesset Yisrael? <laughs> there is this entity called Knesset Yisrael. No, this is me and you and your grandmother and your neighbor and your nephew and your niece. And this teenager was struggling with this, and that person who has this issue, and that is, and all people, and all the hardship, and every single one individually, God, and all the others, and all the Nevi'im, everybody says, let's go together to comfort this person, in one individual. And Hashem comes to comfort, and, and that's the meaning, Nachamu, Nachamu, come comfort, imi with me. The Medrash plays on the word Ami, simply it means my people, and the Medrash changes the word Ami to Imi, with me. Come along with me. But what is that telling you? That the Nechama is coming from where? When we say the Nevi'im, Ovois, who, who does it mean? It means just that the... Why do we care that a Navi comes and comforts us? Why would we care that the Avram comes to comfort us? It's not their humanish kite that we're excited about. We're excited about them because they're godly beings. We're excited that Avram came to comfort us because Avram is a godly being. We're excited that the Navi comes to comfort us because the Navi is a godly being. So all the Nevi'im and the fathers and the patriarchs, they're all godly beings, but they're not God. They're godly beings. What does that mean? They're connected to certain energies of God, to certain attributes, to certain personality traits of God that manifests through them. They personify certain attributes. When God says to them, let's go, me and you, means that Hashem is coming down, not from His level of attribute, but He's coming Himself. What does Himself mean? From a place of Ein Sof, from a place of infinite, from Hashem Himself where there's no limitation. That is also, so that's the same idea that I'm, we were learning earlier. That's the idea of nachamu, nachamu, double. What does double mean? Infinite. And infinite can only be if it's coming from God Himself, because only God is the infinite. So therefore, is an amazing thing. The doubling that represents the future redemption is emphasized in nachamu, nachamu, ami, more than in any other of the doubling, double languages we find of Geula anywhere else. Now we'll understand. We also know, and I mentioned earlier, that, and this is a very, very deep point, but something so rich, so amazing. And that is, one of the explanations on the double Nachamu is because Hashem is comforting us for the first temple, and Hashem is comforting us for the, for the loss of the second temple. Nachamu, Nachamu. 
Nachamu al-Bayas Rishon, Nachamu al-Bayas Sheni. First temple and second temple. The question is asked, and we once gave a class about this. When God comforts, it's different than when a human being comforts. No one should ever know, have to know, but when you go chas v'sholem and you have to be menachem ovel someone, you have to comfort someone, what's the idea of comfort? So someone had a loss, and they had a terrible loss. Me, you, we're all human beings, we can't give them back their loss. When we're comforting them, we hope to ease their pain a little bit by us sympathizing with their pain. That's all we can do. We can sympathize with their pain, and that sympathy makes them feel a tiny little bit better. That's the idea of our comforting. God, however, when He comforts, what's the meaning of God comforting? When God comforts, means He replaces the loss. Because He could replace the loss. That's why when we, when we comfort someone, what do we say? What's the, what's the, the, the Lashen? We say, Hashem should comfort you. I can only, you know, we can say whatever we can say, but the ultimate comfort can only come from God. So if that's the case, the question then becomes, what does it mean a, if a person goes through two losses? You lost something two times. And so you comfort them, but we can understand. For each loss, you have to give them another comfort because they have two aches. But if the comfort means I'm replacing what you lost, so for instance, if you had a, you had a, uh, you know, I had a car, and the car got smashed. And you got a second car. So, and your car, second car got smashed. So if I'm coming to comfort you for your two cars that got smashed, and I'm just comforting you with words, I'm going to comfort you for your two sorrows, the first one and the second one. But if I'm comforting you by giving you out a new car, so then it's, what, what, is, what is the two comforts? I gave you one out, now you have a car. Okay, so now I'm comforting for the first and for the second. Doesn't make any sense. I'm comforting you by giving you a car. It's a one comfort. So that's the question when Hashem gives double comfort. So the explanation is, it's not exact same car. It's true, if I would be replacing the one car, and it's the same car, last time you had a Buick, car broke, you had a second Buick, exactly like the first, and then I'm giving you the third Buick, same Buick, then it's not two separate comforts, I'm replacing that one Buick, or that one Cadillac, or whatever it is that you had. When it's two different things. One time you had a Mercedes. And the other one you had a Cadillac. And I gave you back. Not just a, If I only gave you a Cadillac, you still might be aching that what? That you don't have the Mercedes. If I gave you the Mercedes, you say, yeah, but I once drove a Cadillac. So I have to give you both. I have to give you a Cadillac. And I think to fully comfort you. That's the thing with the Beisam Migdash. It says an interesting thing. That the two Beisam Migdashes, the two temples, are not the same temple. The first temple had its qualities. There was something extraordinarily special with the first temple. The second temple didn't compare to the first temple. Didn't compare to it. I just saw last week, it says that in the nine days, it's become accustomed by the Jewish people. We should learn about the Beis Amigdash in the nine days. So I was learning about the Beis Amigdash. I bought this very beautiful book when I was in Eretz Yisrael from Machon Amigdash. I bought this big, and it was just... It made learning about the Mesa Mingdash so alive for me this year. On the one hand, I have to say, every Jews always have to deal with guilt. Okay, what can I do? I'm okay. I deal with guilt all day long. So what was I? I'm guilty. I'm guilty because I didn't learn Rambam and I didn't learn Mishnayis. And I'm thinking to myself, you're supposed to learn You're supposed to learn base up here. I didn't do that. Say it's laziness. Instead, I was like a little child reading this picture book. 
with my eyes wide open and feeling like I'm in the temple and enjoying every single page and each time imagining like, wow, this looks so grandeur. And it had descriptions. So maybe the Abishta will forgive me. No one is going to judge me. I didn't learn that, but I read. <laughs> I read this Sefer and I'm still holding a middle reading it and I'm enjoying it tremendously. And it really brought the, thir- the Beis Hamikdash into a living experience. So I'm just saying this to ease my pain. In any case... <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. So what happened? As I'm reading it, what did I read? What did I read? I read, I forgot already, I'm saying, talking so much that I forgot already what I wanted to say. Oh yeah. So I read that, what was I talking about before? Hold it. <laughs> hold it, hold it, give me a Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. When they were building the second base of Migdash, they were so excited, they're building a temple. It says, however, that the Zikanim, the elderly people who were still remembered the first base of Eidosh, between the first temple and the second temple, it was only 70 years. So there were people that remembered when they were building the second temple and remembered the first temple. And while there were those that were singing and dancing that they're getting a temple, there were those, the older people, were weeping and crying because they remembered the first temple, first base of Eidosh. And they saw that it's not a comparison. And that's the way it is. It says that the second base of Eidosh was incomparably less than the first base of English. First base of English was so much greater. Oh, but it says that there was something in the second temple that outdid the first temple. What was in the second temple that was greater than the first temple? It was a larger space. The base of English physically occupied more space. It also lasted longer. We had it for an extra 10 years. So it's explained. An interesting idea. And we spoke about this. The greatness of the first temple was that it had greater divine presence. You can't compare the godliness that was in the first Beis HaMikdash to the godliness in the second Beis HaMikdash. Second temple's holiness was far inferior to the first temple's. They didn't even have the Oron. They didn't even have the ten tab- the, 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 the tablets. They didn't even have the, the Aseris Sadibros. They didn't even have like the, 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 the... It was under the ground, whatever. It wasn't visible there. So many other things. Oh, many miracles didn't happen in the second temple that happened in the first temple. But the difference between the two is that in the first temple, there was tremendous godly infusion. But that holiness and that godliness was a little bit detached from our reality, from our earthy, regular selves. It was like you went into the basement, you went into this otherworldly experience, and when you went out, you left, you left very inspired. But when you returned to your regular physical body, there was a certain disconnect. Why? Because you couldn't relate to the Beis Amigdash, which was so high and so great, from your human self. It was more of a... So it was, it was almost like the, the first temple was like hovering on the earth. It didn't become part of earth. The second temple was far more us. It was a temple that was connected far more to time and space, to the physical, earthy, regular self. So when you went into the second temple, even though it wasn't as glamorous and as spiritually powerful, it was far more identifiable. You can identify with its holiness. And therefore, it had more impact on us. In, a, in an internal, in, an, in a deeper way, in a personal way. It affected more change and it reflected more where we're standing. This was a greater holiness, but 
less us. This was more us, not so holy. And, it, and that's why you can see that the second temple stood longer in terms of 10 years longer and it occupied more space. What does that mean? What's our reality? God's reality is that He transcends time and space. Our reality is time and space. So each of the Beis Amigdashes have a quality. So if God gives us a third temple, which one is the third temple going to have? Is the third temple going to be as great as the first Beis Amigdash? And be maybe even godlier than the first Beis Amigdash? Even more intense in terms of the... But then what? It's going to be less connecting to us. On the other hand, is it going to be more us? But if it's going to be more relatable to us, then we're limited. So then it's going to be less godly. So which one? That, so God says, Nachamu, Nachamu. I'm replacing both. I'm giving you a Beis Amigdash that's going to be perfect in terms of its divine revelation. It's also going to be perfect in terms of your identification and your, and, and your relationship with it. You're going to feel that this is your home. This is, this is your heart. This is your way of worship. This is your connection. It's not going to feel like a distant dream, like some kind of... It's going to connect very deeply to us. Why is the third bay here, this greatness? Why is the third base Amigdash going to be both? The first base Amigdash and the second base. To add even more, it's going to be, in terms of the quality of the first base Amigdash, it's going to be even greater than the first base Amigdash in terms of what? Godly revelation. Much greater than the first base Amigdash in godly revelation. In terms of the, the quality of the second base Amigdash, that it was connecting far more to our, to the physical, to the worldliness. This Beis English is going to connect even more to every single human being, especially to every single Jew. And it's going to connect our... In each one of them, it's going to be the extreme, but both of them together, and both harmonize. Why? So the Lubavitcher Rebbe says, just a brilliant idea. You know Why? Because on the first base of English and the second base of English, God was relating to us through a certain mode. The first base of English, it says, was Sphiras Habina, the attribute of Bina, which Bina is godliness coming from above. The second base of English was Sphiras Hamalchus, which Malchus is the world, the two Hays of Hashem's name. In Yudke, Vavke, there's two Hays. So the first base of English was the higher Hay. The second base of English was the lower Hay. And that's why the second base of English lacked five things that were in the first base of English. They were not in the second Hay. Why five things? Why did it lack five miracles? Because it was the lower Hay and not the higher Hay, which Hay is five. That's why these higher godly things were not. But what's the greatness of the third base of English? The greatness of the third base of English is that it's not any attributes. The third base of English, God Himself moves into this world. Not attributes, not certain projections. And if it's infinite, if it's Hashem Himself, Hashem Himself is perfect with every kind of perfection. Perfection from above and perfection from, from below. God will be revealed, and it will be revealed, revealed that the world is God, nothing other than God. So our reality will become completely harmonized and unified with the Abishnah's reality from both ends. So the Nakuda, the point of the third base of English is one thing, believable. No limitations. Whatever you want. You want greater light? Greater light. You want to be more, you want to feel that it's identifying, connecting to you? You will feel that too. Why? Because whatever you want, you have. Why do you have whatever you want? Because it's, it's infinite. That's the idea of the third day. Kiflayim. Double. Ain't sof. Believable. Nachamu, nachamu. 
So it won't be lacking in any of the details. And it's not like, oh, you have this problem, let's work on this. You have this problem, let's, you have this deficiency, let's work on that. It's not working on each thing individually. It's one point that automatically covers all the bases. Because once it's ain't self, once it's, it's, it's believable, it's so believable, the infinite has perfection, every kind of perfection that's possible. You'll say, Does, is God a Talmud Chacham? Is God, is God a Talmud Chacham? Yeah, how much Mishnayis did he learn? Did he learn Mishnayis? Did he learn? God is a Talmud Chacham because he's God. So of course he's perfect. In, 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 in. Is God wealthy? Yeah, if he's God, he cannot not be wealthy. The same reason he cannot not, not be smart is also why he cannot not be wealthy. It's also the same exact point of why he cannot be weak. And he can also not be... See, every single thing is one according because he's God, he's perfect. Third base on Mignesh will reflect that perfection because it's the Abish they're fully manifesting over here. Believable, ain't self. That's it. That's the third base on Mignesh. That's Nachamu, Nachamu, double, double, double energy. With the perfection of everything from above and from below. So now we'll understand. Oh, this is great, this is great. This is like the best shear. Isn't that good? This is the best shear. Right now, it's the best shear we've ever had. Okay, because I'm very excited about this. So now, so you can say that you are by the best shear. So why? So here, 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 here. Now we'll understand the relationship to Parshas Veschanan. What do we have in Parshas Veschanan? You know what's interesting about Parshas Veschanan? Let's suspend what we spoke about earlier about Moshe Rabbeinu for a moment. We'll get to that in a moment. Later on in Parshas Veschanan, we have the Aseris Adibros, the ten the Ten Commandments. And we're going to read it, and we're going to knock on the bima, middle doubt, middle dim. We're going to say, everybody please rise. And we're going to read the Ten Commandments over again. Hey, hold it, didn't we read it in Parshas Yisrael? Yeah, it's just a repetition. Why a repetition? Sarah Sadibris, repetition. Kefel. The double element of Torah. Torah is also double this week. Two Aseris. And the truth is, the whole Sefer Devarim is really repetition. Sefer Devarim is Mishnah Torah. Repetition. And it's interesting. What did we say? What is the essence of repetition? The essence of repetition means it's infinite. So in, by the way, in a Mishnah Torah, in this part of Torah that Moshe said on his own, he repeats, over here is where the infinite dimension of Torah shows itself. That's why it's the fifth book. When you look at the world, you see everything in the world is created in four. Fire, wind, water, earth. Inanimate, vegetable, animal, plant. Asiya, Yetzira, Bria, Atsilos, the four worlds. Yud, K, Vav, K, the four letters of God's name. Where is number five? What's the five? The five is the fifth dimension. What's the fifth dimension? On top of the Yud Kevavke, there's a little thorn on top of the Yud. And that indicates the fifth dimension that's Ein Sof, that's believable, that's infinite. It says the fifth, the Zohar says the fifth level is a Pasuk that says, Achamish is Leparo. The fifth level is Leparo, so the Zohar says the fifth dimension is Spiruyim and Eikol Nahoyrin. It's where all lights blast out from God where there's no limitation. It's Spiruyim It's just a wild explosion of light. No limitation, no boundaries. That's the fifth level. 
that's so powerful about the month of Av. It's the fifth month. And the fifth day of the month of Av is the Arizal's yard side too. The Arizal too was a blasting of light. Number five, five, fifth month. That's why it's so powerful this month. And that's why the Geula is supposed to come in the, in, 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 in the month of Av, rebuilding the base on May. Everything, five. Oh, so again, Mishnah Torah is what? A repetition. Double, that's Geula. Within Tor, Mishnah Torah itself, where do we see double? More than anywhere else, when you get to Aseris Adibras. We have two times a repeat of Aseris Adibras. Interesting. We don't have, this, and, and it's almost a, a perfect repetition, besides a few small changes. Zohar and Shammar, one or two, few changes. In addition to that, the, the Balaturim says that there are 17 words more in the second um, reading than the first. Kiminyan, this is what he says, Kiminyan Tov. Tov means good. What does that mean? That by the Torah repeating Aseris Adibris the second time is where the true good of the Torah is revealed. What's the good? The good is the Ein Sof. Really, to appreciate, let's understand this a little deeper. What's the idea of the repetition of the two Aseris Adibrises? Really, we know that the two times Aseris Adibris are related to the two sets of Luchos. We got two pairs of Luchos. We got the first Luchos, and we got the second luchos. First luchos broke. Moshe broke them. We got a second pair of tablets. Second luchos. What's the difference between the two? So it says, same idea like we spoke about Beis Amikdash. In the first luchos, the Jewish people were tzaddikim. We were perfect. And God was able to communicate His Torah perfectly from above. It was perfect. It, was, it had a greater godly light to it. It's as if we would have received the first luchos, we would have never forgotten the Torah, because once it's godly, it's permanent. But there is a quality to the second luchos. The quality to the second luchos was we received it through our efforts. The first luchos, God gave us a gift. The second luchos, we did tshuva. We sinned, we broke the first ones, we repented, we did tshuva. And our tshuva evoked Hashem. We were far more involved in the second luchos. The second luchos are a bit more human than the first luchos because God tells Moshe Rabbeinu, you bring me rocks. The first luchos Hashem gave him, created, brought the rock from God. This time it was a stone from us involving much more of our involvement. In a sense, the first luchos then is what? Like the first base of Mikdash. Greater godly revelation. Second luchos are more, more related to us. That's why the second luchos lasts. We have it forever. Because it's more connected to us. First luchos is not lasting. Because even though it was like a moment of like sheer godliness, but it's not related to us. By the way, this will, so we can say based on this, that the two times it says aseres adibros in the Torah, the two times ten commandments, are related, even though it's not the same... By the way, there is an opinion that says that on the first luchos, it was inscribed, engraved, the Aseris Adibris from Parshas Yisrael. And in the second luchos was inscribed and engraved, the Aseris Adibris from Parshas Ve'eschanon. It's not, it wasn't even the same luchos, it has the second. So according to that, it makes sense that these two repetitions of it, one belongs to the first luchos and one comes to the second luchos. Which, if you take a look, I'm just going to share one beautiful idea. 
when I take a look at the at the description of Matan Torah during the first Luchos and the description of Matan Torah during the second Luchos, that there is a difference. In the first Luchos, there's a very great emphasis how God is speaking. In, I'll share it with you. In Parshas uh, Yisro, it says very strongly how God is blasting the world with godly light and it's almost not leaving any room for us. Look what it says. It was on the third day. There was thunder and lightning and heavy mountain. And what happened to the people? Everybody is dreading and being afraid and everything. Then it says later, and how the mountain was smoking and was overwhelmed by God. Then later, at the conclusion of the first Lucha, of the first Aseris Adibris, it says, all the people saw the kolos, the lapidim, the flames, the kolos shoifar, and what happened to the people? Vayara um, the people saw vayanu, they trembled, vayamdu marachot, they stood at a distance. It's almost like God is canceling us. Then later it says, when the, Jew, when the Jewish people come plead to God, and they say, please, we can't handle this, we're going to die, Moshe says, God are purposely scaring you, he's blasting you with his light, so that you should fear him. So what do you see the whole time that the emphasis in the first Luchos is? Matan Torah as it's coming from who? From God. He's not considering us too much. He wants to make a point. He wants to express himself. Okay? In the second Luchos, in Parshas Veschanon, not the second Luchos, in the second repeat of Aseris Adimrus, the whole narration is narrated in a way that brings us far more into the picture. First of all, it says... God showed you that you should know It's important that you should get it You should absorb it Then it says From the heaven God made you hear His sound Made you hear His sound from heaven And on the earth He showed you God is showing you There's much more emphasis on the person And then later it says the Jewish people come to Moshe Rabbeinu and beg them, please, you speak to us and God. And guess what happens? God answers. They're speaking really well. They're speaking really well. So God accepts the fact that we can't hear it from Him. So you see that difference. If you analyze the Psukim, you see that the first Debris is a complete powerful revelation from above. Second Luchus is far more integration into our, into our Kalim, into our vessels. So you would be able to say, according to this, here, 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 this is the whole depth of what I got all excited about before. You would be able to say that the repetition of the second luchos is because, as we said earlier, the first base, I mean, the second base of Medish, first luchos, we need, we need one that absorbs more. But if that's the case, then the description of the second, second Aseris Adibris should have been after Moshe Rabbeinu rebukes the Jewish people and tells them that they broke, that they caused the luchos to be broken. You broke the first one. Now we needed a second one. So you did tshuva and we got the second one. That whole story of us of breaking the luchos is not mentioned until Parshas Ekev. Moshe does speak about it, but he's going to speak about it next week's Torah portion. So according to that comes out that the repetition of Parshas in Parshas Veschanan is not as a result of the shattering of the luchos. That's not the story that you get when you're reading it. When you're reading it, you're only going to learn about the shattering of the first one later. 
comes out that the reason, there's no reason why this is repeated a second time. It's repeated because Moshe is repeating. That means that the real essence of the repetition right now is not because of a broken situation, but rather because the Torah wants to emphasize this itself, repetition. Why does the Torah want to emphasize repetition? Because the Torah wants to emphasize the in the Torah wants to give us what? The end, the ain't self of Torah, the infinite dimension of Torah. The Torah wants to show us that the Torah, that even though God is speaking to humans and he's giving us a very fixed law, ten commandments, and most of these commandments are very simple, and so on and so forth. And the Torah has so many 300,000 letters and something letters that are in the Torah. It's a fixed amount. Don't think the Torah is fixed and limited. Realize the ain't self is here, there's the infinite. So it comes out that the whole notion of Parsha's Veschan and repetition is, to em- is the first Parsha. We're, we're, what do we have here? We have repeat. And what's the idea of repeat? Ein Sof. So the Nekudah, the point of Parsha's Veschan and repetition is over here we're finally experiencing the Ein Sof of Torah. Now where is the Ein Sof of Torah really going to be felt? When are we truly going to feel the Ein Sof of Torah with Mashiach? Here's what people need to understand. If nothing excites you about Mashiach, because you're kind of living life and it's not so horrible for you, chas I mean, good, shouldn't be. You live in it, and there's no problems in your life that are calling for Mashiach. Baruch Hashem, you're able to take nice vacations and enjoy your life and eat a lot of good sushi with... all those good sauces... And that makes you very happy, and makes me happy sometimes, right? And all the stuff that we have, all the chazarai that we have. But, but, come on. We haven't even begun to study Torah. All the Torah we have till now is only Torah as it is limited. We haven't even begun to see the Ein Sof. When Mashiach will come, Torah chadasha me'iti say a new Torah, it's going to be, by the way, the concept... It's going to be the class in two weeks from now. Parshas and Mashiach decoded. We're going to learn about this. A new Torah is going to issue forth from God Himself. And that Torah, since it's coming from God's essence, is going to, it's the same Torah, but God is going to reveal to us the ain't self of Torah. We're going to be so blown away by Torah. It's like going to be so exciting to start learning Bereshis all over again. And then Shema, everything in Torah is going to come like alive with like, whoa, whoa, like we never learned it. Why? Because the ain't self of Torah is going to be revealed. So comes out that this Parsha's Veschanon that has double Torah, what is the idea? It's the idea of the Ein Sof of Torah, which is the idea of Nachamu Nachamu. Nachamu Nachamu is the third, is the, how is the Ein Sof of God going to be revealed in the world? First it has to be revealed in the Torah, and through Torah it comes into the world. So Nachamu Nachamu Ami means that the infinite of God hasn't clothed itself in the world. That's why we have a third base Amikdash that is perfect from all sides, Ein Sof. Parshas Veschanon gives us, what does Parshas Veschanon give us? Gives us a double, doubled, Aseris Adibris, gives us double Torah, which is the Ein Sof of Torah, which is the Torah of Mashiach. That's this week's Parsha. The two of them are deeply connected. We're only left with one question, and I finished that, we're done. Okay, so give me two more minutes, three, four and a half more minutes. Okay, so what is the last point? The last point is, going back to the question that we asked earlier, going back to the question we asked earlier, had Moshe Rabbeinu taken the Jewish people into, into Eretz Yisrael, we would have what? Had a permanent time in Israel. We would have had been permanently in Eretz Yisrael. And in the end, 
Moshe, what's the whole theme of Ve'ezchanan, at least in the beginning? That Moshe does not take us into Eretz Yisrael. Instead, we come in through Yoshua. And because of that, we have the Beis Amigdash is torn and broken, and we go through all the hardship and the pain and the misery, and we still haven't gotten over it for, for, for too, close to 2,000 years. So how does that fit with this whole idea? Pasha's Ve'ezchanan seems to have a very, very painful beginning. The answer is very deep, based on what we just learned. Had Moshe Rabbeinu taken us into Eretz Yisrael, we would have lasted there forever, but we would have lasted there forever one track direction. Because, because Hashem's light would have kept us there forever. Moshe Rabbeinu brings down this powerful light from above. It would have been us being in Eretz Yisrael forever, but not because we identify with it. We would have only had the connection like in the first space on Mikdash. A, rela- a godly revelation from above, but it wouldn't have been ours. And we might have lived in that reality forever, but it would have never felt like it's ours, because it would have never been from us. The reason why Moshe could not take the Jewish people into Eretz Yisrael, and it had to go happen through Yoshua, the real deeper reason is, because ultimately we had to conquer the land, not through a godly power from above, but more from a more physical human conquest. That's why when Yeshua took the Jewish people into Eretz Yisrael, it was a slow conquest. Had Moshe Rabbeinu taken us into Eretz Yisrael, it would have been a sweeping victory. Bang! In one minute, we would have been like we would have taken over the whole land. The the all the all those that are it would have been like all the all the nations that would have been there would have been blown away miraculously. We would have taken the entire territory. No, Yeshua took us into the land. It took seven years to conquer. It took another seven years to settle. Then even after Yeshua, when Yeshua died, we still didn't finish the conquest. And it took many years later, and they had to do it bit by bit, because anything that has to do with our efforts is a slow process. We need to connect to it slowly. So there was a quality by us coming into Eretz Yisrael through Yeshua, was that it can be far more, it can be, we can identify with that conquest. It can be our conquest. Not a, just a gift from above. Something that we're connected. So that what? Eventually, what did that lead? Since it's coming from us and we're limited, what did it, what did it lead to? A destruction. And a 2,000 year journey through exile. In which we're continuing the, do, the, the work of doing what? Of sublimating the world bit by bit, piece by piece. Not in a godly, transcendental, overbearing and overpowerful way, but in a very meticulous, gentle earthy manner where we deal with every obstacle and with every person and with every country and with every society and with every culture and with every kind of feature and in everything we find how to serve God and we're innovative and we come up with such genius ways of how to use the particular circumstances we're, we're, that we're living in to increase a mitzvah and to get people involved and to do good things each culture, each place, each century each, it's bit by bit, bit by bit we're, we're purifying the world from below. And what is that, what is that leading us? That's going to lead us to the third entry into Eretz Yisrael, meaning the third, the, the Giyula, in which our entry into Eretz Yisrael is going to be perfect, in which way? From above and from below. So when we're going to take the third base, when we're, going to, when we're going to conquer the land, on the one hand, it's going to be, it can happen in a second. All of Israel is going to become ours. It's going to be like, boom, there's going to be this blast of powerful godly revelation in the third base. But at the same time, since it came through all this work, it's also going to be very thorough and complete from below. So we're going to have 
a perfect redemption. We're going to have Moshe and Yeshua, and mainly we're going to have Moshiach Tzedkenu, that's going to combine Moshe and Yeshua together. So, it's going to, so the reason Moshe does not go into Eretz Yisrael this week's parish is only because we're really aiming for God wanted something even better. Had Moshe taken us in, it would have been fantastic, but it would have been only from above. So why does God say, he doesn't let Moshe come in? So why doesn't Hashem let Moshe come in? Because Hashem wants nachamu and nachamu. Hashem wants it to happen from both directions, from above and from below. And as the two are combined, because the ultimate giyula is all about this revelation of Hashem Himself, which, which entails within it every kind of perfection. Perfection from above, perfection from below. I just want to give the practical application of practical application of that is, is we're waiting for Mashiach any day now we're hoping, we're waiting, we saw so many miracles this year, so many things pointing to the redemption, it's important that we start living in redemption mode, and to start living in redemption mode means to enter a little bit into that infinite zone everything you do you sit down to learn don't look at the clock like I make you do anyways. Don't look at the class. The class will go on an extra five minutes. It will go on to the infinite. Ain't so. Come Thursday night, we learn ain't so. We learn without an end. What's happening? Infinite. We have to acclimate ourselves a little bit into this infinite. Don't nickel and dime. Don't think of every dollar. Just infinite. Give infinite. Spend infinite, live infinite, appreciate that God is waiting to enter into you. The moment you rise up, He wants that. He wants a human being of such fine finitude to like melt into the angel. So that's why this week, Parshas Tuba of the Gemara says we have to add, and the nights get longer, every Jew has to add in his Torah study. What does it mean adding? You learned, you learned, you have your shield, you finished. How much am I learning? I'm learning infinite. So why, I'm going to fall asleep. Oh, so I fall asleep. While I'm learning, I fall Why? Because I'm really learning infinite. I have no set time. When it comes to holy matters, a, a, a certain, a certain, it, of, course we're, of course, even when we're infinite, we're not really infinite, but we really are infinite because we have a soul that's connected to God. I, we have a body that's very, very limited. Okay, so the body is going to be a keli for the infinite. Let's at least make a little bit of an attempt to live outside of those rigidity of boop, 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 boop. Arois. Yiddish say, arois van the Go out of limitations. Go out of the boundaries. First of all, dare yourself to believe that Mashiach is coming any minute. Don't try to be such a chacham, rational thinker that there's all kinds of calculations. Why? Wolf is a Meshuggah now in his classes giving, stop it, it's happening, Mashiach is coming, even though it sounds maybe strange a little bit. Dear to believe, dear to get out of your boundaries, dear to live a little bit with relying on the Abishter, spread out, do things beyond your measure, do things that no one would believe you would do because you're breaking out of your boundaries. If we all make that little effort now, a little bit, to break out of those constrictions, limitations, we will enter into that infinite zone, the double, double, and then we will be recipients of Kaflaim Latashia for all the miracles of Ein Sof coming from the Abishter. May we merit Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami, now. Shall I?